Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. Uh, we're settling in for uh, another day. We're thankful that you are here. A couple of things that I want to make uh, make you aware of before we get started today. Don't forget, for those of you that may be able to be in South Alabama, Dothan, Alabama, next weekend, if you're listening to this in the current week of the Bible study, next weekend, the 21st and 22nd, the Pursuit Men's Conference will be at the Dothan Civic Center. Uh, there's still tickets available for that. we got a great crowd that's coming. Rich Wingo will be there, Bill Searcy, two guys out of this uh, very Bible study. Brody Kroll will be joining us. Uh, I'll be there speaking and seeing that. Michael Adler, Chris Adler, and uh, other musicians and singers will be providing worship. So if you would like to be with us, go ahead and go to rickandbubba.com uh, or burgessministries.com. Look under events, and you do need to get your tickets in advance. There will be no tickets available uh, the, the, the weekend of the actual event. So go ahead and get those uh, ahead of time. A couple things also. Uh, my wife's book, uh, Sherry, uh, wrote uh, Bronner, A Journey to Understand. Uh, she wrote this. It was released in 2016. It is now available in audio form. She narrates it. There's a bonus chapter uh, that goes with that. You can get this wherever audio books uh, are available, and I have been listening to it. And to read it is one thing, and it's certainly powerful to listen to her narrate this is really a whole other experience. I got a text from one of the guys in the class that I won't mention who it is uh, yesterday, and he said he had just finished listening to it, and he, he, he said his experience was like this. Because you'll hear me reference my wife all the time, what a gift she is to me and has been to so many others. He said, I felt like the kid that comes out for baseball that's wearing blue jeans. You can tell I haven't played baseball a lot, and it's my first time at practice. And he said, and then I decided to listen to this audio book, and it was like taking batting practice with Babe Ruth. So I thought that was a, that was a, great, uh, that was a great analogy. So anyway, it, it, it's got a lot of depth. It is 400 level, but man, it, it is powerful. So if you, if you, if you love audio books... Um, uh, go out and grab that uh, today, uh, and it, it, it is available. Also, as you're leaving today, guys, I'm going to have these for you. Uh, Bill Pritchard right here in our, in our study. Um, he actually has put together every, every place uh, of, of the miracles of Jesus where you can find those throughout the Gospels. Everywhere Jesus performs a sign or a miracle, and every time that's documented in the Gospels, he's put together the entire list for you on a piece of paper, some pictures to go with it, on the back, what a great uh, piece of study guide this is. I'll have those up here. You can just grab those to the, uh, you know, until they're gone. Also, themanchurch.com kicks off officially on March the 2nd. It'll be available and ready to go. These are some pamphlets that are up here too. All it does is sort of tell you the game plan, how you make this uh, uh, men's ministry discipleship strategy work. If you want to take this with you, maybe there's people you want to give that to. Maybe uh, you, know, you guys in the room, you're part of a... Uh, uh, of a small group, or maybe you're you're part of a church and church leadership at your church. If you don't go to our church, uh, you can take this and give it to anybody you think that might be able to use it. And we even have little stickers that you can put on your computer or on your notebook right here at the Man Church. Be a man, follow Jesus. We have those up here for you, and these things are just available. You can grab them on the way out, and they're available until they're gone. So let's uh, let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for for guiding us and allowing us. Uh, to be able to, to have the Holy Spirit in our life, to jump into your word today, and for you to, to, to use your presence to almost like putting you know, glasses on, on our eyes that are blurry and, and clarifying who you are as you reveal to us uh, the, these wonderful truths today. Thank you, Lord, for, for making sure that uh, this was available to us in our own language for us to unpack today and then for the power that is always found anytime. Uh, we open up your word. Thank you for the men that are in the room today. May your hand be upon every one of them and, and all the different things that are going on and the different ages and dynamics that are in this room. Thank you for all those who have chosen to be with us, either by the videos or live or, or recorded or listening to the audio archive. May you take uh, today and just, just pierce our hearts and draw us closer to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we are in the Gospel of John. We've been continuing that. Uh, I think we're at like maybe the 23rd week of the Gospel of John. Uh, so we're in chapter 13 today, and this is a huge event. Now, I always give caution to some of my veterans in the room, or even some, maybe if you're a cultural Christian and you're listening to this and watching this, this is going to be a story that may be familiar to you, but I just want to tell you, as, as I've already learned preparing for this, do not get the attitude of, yeah, yeah, I know this story. I think I know what it's all about. Uh, don't listen with that kind of ear today. 
Uh, just really, really be uh, uh, sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And as always, when we, we get into the Word of God, no matter how many times you may have heard these historic moments, there's always something you haven't quite grabbed yet. And I can tell you that has already been my experience uh, getting ready for this over the last few days. So uh, in chapter 13, we start off with, with verse 1. Uh, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So, so John opens up with kind of an obscure comment that we're trying to figure out exactly what he means. Don't, don't read too much into it. Uh, we know that, the, that we're about to have the foot washing uh, take place. We know this was before the Passover meal, and I could just go ag nauseum with all the different commentaries about some of the things they bogged down on. I'm not going to. Uh, but anyway, what he's talking about is that he's, he's, he's showing what he's about to do. He knows he's about to depart. He knows he's, you know, remember, we've moved from the hour is coming to the hour is now. So he knows he's working his way to the cross right now, and this is a special moment between him and these disciples, and he's saying that, that, that he loved those who, who were his in the world. He, I've loved these disciples, and I'm going to show my love to them now on what I'm about to do, and I'm also showing that my love for them is not just the time they spent with me now. I'm also going to show them uh, that, that this love that I'm about to show them is to be represented all the way to the end when I complete what I have done. Because really what's happening now, and we are still part of this. Man, I hope you all understand that. Jesus is about to do it is finished. He's about to come out and give, and, and give the, the, the disciples 40 more days of training. And then he's going to send to the Father, and he says, everything that I have accomplished and the message that I've been trying to teach you, I'm now going to the Father to prepare a place for you for my second coming. And in the meantime, I give you my presence, the Holy Spirit, and now you take what I've done, and it's your job now. Y'all do realize that. It's our job now. And, and we're still the legacy of these men and, and of course, the women who will be part of the early church. Uh, of Acts as well. We're, we're, we're still that legacy. The church age is about to start. And can I tell you something? It's still going. You know, we, not, not, we weren't, you, you picture this. There's never a time, if you want to use a sports analogy, which we as men love, there's never a time when, when one team graduates and goes on that the new freshmen show up and the coach says, ah, oh, this year we're not doing anything. But just, you know, these guys have already done it and I know I've got a team here, we've got all of our gear, we've got a schedule, but don't think you have to do anything. No, no, once they're gone, then the next generation, and what are we doing? We're discipling the next generation, because I got I, next generation, because I got news for you. Most of us are getting to the age that I'm starting to think, I guess I'm just going to die before Jesus comes back. I don't know, but I need to prepare the next generation. So that's what he's saying. I'm going to show them this love, and then they're going to continue this and understand this, even after I have completed this, this is going to be symbolic all the way to the end. So then we get into the, the part that was shocking to these men. So look at number two, at verse 2. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to, to betray him. Now let's land there for just a minute. Judas and the devil, we know now, are working together to betray uh, Jesus. Now, there's all kinds of commentary about this too. You'll see as we continue to go on that there is a moment when, when Judas, this, this, this scheme comes into his heart uh, of, of, the, of what he's going to do and how he's going to betray Jesus, and he knows this is happening. Jesus is telling us, and, and Paul is, is, I mean, sorry, John is letting us know that, that this deal between the devil and Judas had already taken place the devil put it into his heart to, to betray Jesus, and so that is already taking place. So that process has begun that Judas has been given this idea from Satan. Because remember, Satan is not omniscient. He's, he's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. So there are limits to what Satan knows, and in his mind, like we talked about last week, he still has in his mind that somehow he needs to destroy the Son of God and the very, same, the very thing he thinks is going to be his victory, will, we know, will ultimately be his defeat. But right now, he's working in the present time. i got to kill Jesus so I can stop this movement. And um, so, 
So Judas is the one he's chosen, which means he was susceptible to be chosen. Don't miss that. You know, we say all the time that the, the, the people that usually fall victim to Satan are the people that are ready for, for the picking. You know, what, what, what do predators always pick off? Always. They pick off the sick. They pick off, they pick off the, 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 the old that are no longer keeping up with the group. And they pick off the young. Okay, the immature, the, the ones who are not with the group. I saw this visually terribly for me when I was on an African safari one time. And I have a, a foot that can, is kind of hit or miss. And it was, it was having a bad day. And I don't know why Sherry and I agreed to this. Sherry said, well, you know, they, they offer an opportunity for you to actually take a safari on foot. The, chil <laughs> the, children, the children cannot go. She said, but the, but, but the adults in the group, and we had been on a mission trip, we can go. And I said, well, I, I'm trying to understand why we would do that. And uh, she said, well, it's a different experience. You know, you're actually on foot, and they, they walk you around. So there's a guy standing there with a, with a rifle that, 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 is, that is, is gigantic, and he's in the front. And I, I, so we get ready. So I, I, I come walking out of where we're staying, and I'm limping, and I'm doing all this. And I look, and Sherry goes and stands by the guy with the rifle and leaves me. And, uh, and I looked up at her, and I said, what are you doing? And she just stood by the guy with the rifle. She goes, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't think you can make it. <laughs> and... Um, and, and I thought, I'm that guy. I'm the one that gets picked off. And, 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 I, and, I, and you know, she was like, I, if you were walking better, I might stay with you. But, and uh, because she knew I was going to be the one that was going to get picked off. And, uh, and I, remember, I remember the guide saying, if, if, if he comes out, if you, we are attacked, do not run because you would just be tired when you die. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, this is, why are we doing this? I, I don't, I didn't understand that, but. But I survived, so it was good. Uh, but anyway, and I always tell you the story of we, never, we usually don't have to shoot any, but we have before, you know, and I'm like, okay, be still and let me shoot. Got it. But, but you know what he said? If anybody starts to run, stop them. And I thought, no. If somebody runs, that means it'll chase them away from us. I won't be grabbing anybody. So, so anyway, so we know this has taken place. Now let's look at three through five. What, a, what an incredible thing that's about to happen here. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and I love that, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So, so Jesus is reflecting here. He knows the deal. The Father has told him that it is on. The hour is now. He knows that the Father has given him all authority uh, over everything that's taking place. Now, the reason why that's important, don't miss this. This is, again, what we'll hear when Jesus is standing before Pilate. This is the Father letting his Son know you are in charge of this all the way to the cross. I've given you all authority. Nobody's going to take your life from you. You are going to give your life, and you're in charge the whole way. That's important because look what Jesus does next. With all the authority in heaven and earth that has been given him by the Father, and then we get to, uh, to the next thing that, was hap that happens, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel and tied it around his waist, then he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. You got to understand what a scene this was. You got to understand the culture. This, they, the disciples, they are rendered speechless by this. They cannot believe what they're seeing. It, I mean, this is a shocking scene because in that culture, no man. No Jewish man washed another Jewish man's feet, period. That never, ever happened. The only people that ever washed feet were slaves. And they said even if a Jewish man or woman was an indentured slave to somebody that they were paying off a debt, Jewish people could not be given the job, even as a slave, to wash somebody else's feet. That could only be done by Gentiles. Because they, they considered it to be so low that a Jewish person would not do it regardless of their standing. They said every now and then you might have a Jewish woman wash the feet of her husband or you might have a child wash the feet of an adult. But never, ever did a Jewish adult man get up and wash anybody's feet, period. So this is a shocking scene to them. 
I mean, they literally cannot believe what Jesus is doing. So Jesus gets up. Now, I want you to picture what it looks like because, you know, they, remember when they ate, they were, they were on the ground. They were lounging. Remember me talking about when we talked about uh, Mary when she washed Jesus' feet? And I said, you got to picture his feet are sticking out. So they would, they, would, they would have mats, and they would lounge around the food, and usually they would rest on their left elbow, and their feet would be out, you know, like you would be kind of rocked back. Don't picture them sitting in a chair. They're all lounging around these mats, and they're facing different ways, which you'll see here in a minute uh, because of the way the room is. They're not all sitting around a table looking at each other. They're lounging around, some of them back-to-back and talking. So, so that's the scene. So now Jesus is reclining on a mat as well, but he gets up from his mat. Can you see it? He gets up from his mat, and then he takes on the role of a servant, even the way he dresses himself. The way he dresses himself is crucial. All these things you just heard John describe, he, he's describing these not to be a good writer, but to be sure that you see that Jesus is taking on the role of a servant because the way he dressed, this was the dress of a menial slave. If they saw someone in, in culture dressed this way, that is a, some menial slave, the lowest of even a slave. Only slaves dress like that where, where other men could see them. And so uh, uh, they found this type of dress to be demeaning. So does everybody got how shocking what's going on right now? First of all, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who have been given all authority in heaven and earth, who's done all these signs that they've seen, just got up off his mat, took his outer coat off, took it off. He now has no shirt on. And now he's taking and he's tying something over where he can wash. He is now getting up saying he's going to wash their feet. He's preparing the water in the basin. Oh, my goodness, he's dressed like a slave. This is, this is, this is a shocking moment for the disciples. So shocking so shocking, they don't even know what to say. They don't, you know, of course, Peter is going to solve that here in a minute and break the silence as he often did. But so, so this, this is the process. So he came down to Simon Peter. He came down to Simon Peter. And, and you got you to think of all the things that these, these moments, I want you to write these things down about what he just did. Write down Luke twenty two twenty seven if you're taking notes. Luke twenty two twenty seven. What do we see in Luke? I am among you as the one who serves. I'm among you as the one who Jesus has been trying to tell them the, the, the type of leadership he was taking on. And, of course, in the very famous, incredible uh, writing of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, 6, and 7, and I'll just, I won't give you the whole thing. I'll paraphrase that. But this is that when Paul's writing about the one who was the very nature of God made himself nothing. That's a big moment right there. So, so we're now seeing him approach Peter. And, and, and the reason why this is so overwhelming and the reason why Peter cannot even take it in is that, that Jesus knows, because you know, John just told us there in verse 1, Jesus knows, this is big, big, and we got we, we to gotta adopt this, right? What do we keep saying? If we really want to be a man or if you're watching, if you really want to be a woman, uh, then, then we just follow Jesus. This is the example of, of who we're supposed to be. Jesus knows the power that he's been granted as John clearly lays out in verse 1. And even though he knows that, he lowers himself anyway. It's one thing for you to lower yourself when you don't know any better. When you think that's your, your role, you think that's, yeah, I am a servant, I am lowly. Oh, but it's another thing to do it when you know that's not the case. When you know that you have all the power in heaven and earth and you are the king of kings and you are the Lord of lords and you represent the great I am and you do it anyway. You do it anyway. Y'all have heard me say this so many times about the one thing. My dad has a lot of things that are not perfect about him. And I know a lot of us in here are perfect. My dad's not. But the one thing that he always did well was humility. Even when I watched his example of, 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 of servant leadership so many times, you know, when, when the, the story y'all have heard a, a number of times, but if you're new to the class or you're watching for the first time, my dad being athletic director, head football coach and equipment manager told me the story. I went in there and your dad was cleaning the toilets. And I said, Coach Burgess, what in the world are you doing cleaning the toilets? And he said, it's my turn. You think people won't, won't walk through a wall for that guy? It's my turn. 
when, when, when they won the national championship and the last play was made and the defensive coordinator made this incredible, uh, you know, he'd watched film over and over and over again. And my dad walks over to the defensive coordinator and he says, what are they going to do in this, this particular situation for the win? If they complete this pass, they win. If our defense knocks it down, we win. And the defense coordinator said they're going to throw to the slot receiver. He said, how many times they do that? He said, 100% of the time. I've watched hours and hours and hours and hours of film. And in this situation, 100% of the time, they throw to the slot receiver. We drop the outside linebacker down, double the slot receiver, knock it down. If they've thrown it to their All-American, the wide receiver, they won the championship. In the press conference, when it's over, how many head coaches you know say this? So Coach Burgess, did you walk down there and make the call on this last play? He said, let me ask you a question. Who do you want to make the call to win the national championship? The guy who broke down hundreds of hours worth of film or the guy who spoke to the Kiwanis Club? <laughs> How many head coaches you know that would have said that? They would have taken the credit. Well, I'm the head coach, you know. I got down there that last time. I had to, I had to weigh in on it. My dad's not that good. My, my dad, when I'm standing out on the field when they're naming the stadium after me, after him, he leans over to me. He said, let me tell you about life. Same people that fired me a few years ago just named the stadium after me. <laughs> so, 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 so what Jesus is showing is humility. He's showing that if you really want to be great, then lower. You, there's, don't ever think that you can't lower yourself to the role of a servant. Serve those you've been placed in charge of. What, what does Paul tell us in here if you have a wife or out there that you may have a wife? What did Paul tell us in Ephesians 5? We're, we're, we're to serve our wives. As Christ, we're to love her like Christ loved the church. He gave his life up for the church. We're to bathe her into the word of God. As I've said many times, I, I talked about this book for my wife. Yes, my wife knows the word of God from beginning to end. She certainly does. But in her time of despair, you know what she said to her husband? Tell me again what the Bible says about this. You think she didn't know? But in that moment and in that night at Children's Hospital, what did she say? Nobody could be my husband. Well, she knew the Word of God, and she, knew, she, she, she was surrounded by everybody you'd want to be around her. She said, but nobody could be my husband. Because she needed me to do what? To serve her, to wash her in the Word of God. And Jesus is showing us this example. But now we get to Peter, and we, and we love Peter. He's not going to have it. So he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? You know, can I put you in that Calhoun County where I'm from? Are you kidding me? You think you can come over and wash my feet? See, this is the famous, I'm not going to let you die. I'm going to stay with you to the end. It's that same old day. Look, he means well every time. None of this comes from a bad place. He just never knows what he's talking about <coughs> until he gets to Acts chapter 2 when it's the game changer, when he receives the Holy Spirit. But right now, don't know that when Peter says these things to Jesus, he really is coming from a good place. He just, he just, he just doesn't know it yet. So he says to him, and Jesus answered him, isn't this good in seven? What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will, you will understand it. You know, how many times you got to get this? Don't miss this truth right here. Many times in our life, throughout our process of sanctification, and throughout our lives, we're going to have to trust that what God is doing is right. Jesus is saying that. You don't get this right now. You don't understand this right now. But in time, you will. And you're going to remember what I'm doing, and you're going to think, ah, ah, that's right. Like I said, referring to Sherry's book a lot today, Sherry says, I don't always like his methods, but I cannot argue with his results. You know, I, I didn't know at the time what was going on. Through time, I keep saying, okay, that's what you were doing. Oh, I see that now. So he's telling Peter that. He said, but you will understand. And then Peter, and which, which is great, you know, P Peter was so embarrassed and so uncomfortable with what was going on that he was rendered silent. And, I mean, all the others I'm talking about, all but Peter. But as usual, Peter had to stand up and say something and say that, that, that he understood the master's role and he did not understand the coming cross. And, and look, and what Jesus is saying, y'all don't understand any of this, but in, in a moment you're going to. So Peter strongly objects, but look at eight. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. See, be careful. See, right now, Peter's not a good example to us. Now, he means well. 
He means well, but you know what Peter is right now? And I've been this guy. Okay, and some of you, even today, five, six years from now, you're going to look back on how dumb you really are. I mean, can everybody raise your hand you've been through that experience? Because when? There's been moments in our life that we were passionately wrong. I mean, we had all kinds of passion. We all had all kinds of spit. We even had all kinds of devotion to what we thought was right. Only to realize all I had was passion, but that didn't mean I was right. And, that, and, that, and that's what, and we, everybody looked outside lately in our world, a lot of passionately wrong people. So, so this is what Peter's saying. He's making a stand. See, once again, and this is where we got to watch out. This is, see, we don't, this, Peter is not our example here. You know where Peter becomes our example? Acts chapter 2. From then on, he's our example. But right now, he's not our example because you know what he's saying to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords? What Rick Burgess said for a, a, an embarrassing large number of years, I know more than you do, Jesus. You don't know what you're doing. I know that sounds silly, but if you look at your life, I bet you can find times when you said to the great I am, you don't know what you're doing. I remember, that's another thing that I remember my, my, my grandparents saying. I believe on, on, there'll actually be people that'll stand before God and say, you didn't know what you were doing. And I said, surely nobody would do that. I'm starting to believe they really will. <laughs> because what, what do human beings want to do? God's going to be what I want him to be. I'm not going to submit to be what he wants me to, or he's going to make me because we can't do it, what he'll turn us into. So remember, Peter is coming from what he thinks is a good place, but be careful because if you, we don't fully understand Scripture and fully understand the genuine article and fully understand who God says He is, we might be screaming at God too, what you're doing is wrong because we won't be informed. But Jesus, with His grace and mercy, answers Him again. If I do not wash you, you have, you have no share with me. Wow. So Peter strongly objects, still no, motiv motivated by social norms. Can we get rid of all that too, guys? Our, our, our rituals and, our, and, our, and our, our, our routine. Now, this is not how we do things, Jesus. This is not how it operates around here. We're Jewish men. We don't wash each other's feet now. That, that's an unacceptable social norm. I don't care who's doing it, even the king of kings. It's not acceptable because we're not comfortable with this. Right? Anybody ever had any of that in your life? This is the way we do it. You wouldn't believe the idiotic emails I get a day. I want you to know that every single denomination of the Christian faith says, if I'll just believe what they believe to the letter, I'll finally be saved. And I like to watch them go against each other. You know, like I figured both of them think that if I was more like them, then I would actually be a Christian. And I said, well, y'all got to make me mind. Which one of y'all am I supposed to be? You know, we get into all these rituals and sacraments and and, and, and frequency and all these things. And I'm not talking about being against obedience. I'm not talking about that at all. We certainly need to be obedient. But when we lose adoration and devotion and worship of the great I am over rituals, sacraments, and routine, well, this is how we've always done it. Well, maybe that's why you should stop doing it that way. Because now it's just become a routine to you. It doesn't even mean anything to you anymore. You know, maybe, maybe shake things up a little bit. Not, not sacrilege. I'm not talking about that. But maybe all these things that we've been told to do with worship and devotion and adoration, if they've just become routine to you, then maybe you need to, to shake it up a little bit. You know, maybe if, if the way you've always taken the Lord's Supper is with that one little cup with a little bitty thing in the side, that's all you've ever done. Maybe this week you get down with your family at your house and you get out the juice or the wine, and you get out the bread, and you break that bread, and you tell your family what Jesus Christ did for us, and why don't you do it that way? Well, that's not the way we've ever done it, Rick. Well, maybe that's why you need to do it that way then. It may actually mean something to you again, then you can go back to the way you've always done it. You know, do something. The social norms is, Jesus didn't come here, so we develop a bunch of social norms and sacraments and rituals. That, that, that's not what he wanted. He said, I'm knocking all this down, and I'm giving you access to the Father in a personal relationship. I escort you into the presence of God. What did Paul say to Timothy? We have one mediator between man and God, and that's Jesus Christ. Period. Period. So, so Peter strongly objects to this. And then Jesus says, unless you let me wash you, 
then you can have no part of me. So what, what does Jesus mean by this? Now, there's a lot of commentary on this, too. But what, what makes a lot of sense is, is trying, you know, I've noticed with a lot of these commentaries, being a teacher now, you know, sometimes you can get so educated about this stuff, you actually start going back the other way. You know, that's another thing my dad always believed. If somebody got too many degrees, he thinks at some point you start getting dumber. I don't know where he came up with that, but he's always thought that. He, th- he thought there was a certain amount of knowledge you could grasp, but he went too far and started going back the other way. So, uh, so anyway, but what makes sense is what is pretty obvious, and, that, and Jesus is what? Talking about what's about to happen. Hey, you may be Jewish, and your body may be mostly clean, but your feet still dirty. And unless you let me wash you, then you can't have any part of me. Unless you, what I'm about to do on the cross, and what I'm about, when I'm walking out of that tomb, and I take the, 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 the old covenant and I complete it, I'm the deal now. And unless you're going to let me wash away your sins, you can have no part of me. This is symbolic what I'm doing right now. It certainly is showing you that I'm, I'm here to serve, but how is he here to serve? To go to the cross and be the ultimate and final Lamb of God to pay for our sins. And he's saying, if you reject me as the lowly Lamb, if you reject me in this servant's role, then you won't have any part of me. This is how you get forgiven, what I'm about to do and what I'm showing you. So, so don't chase some of these commentaries about his feet and his head and his hands. All that just, frankly, gets very, very silly. So it is symbolic, but I love Peter's response of exuberance because Peter can go from zero to hero like that. And so, so Peter hears this, and when he hears Jesus have this truth, look at 9. Then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean, and if you are clean, but you are clean, but not every one of you. Okay, so, so, so Jesus is going on here to talk about the fact that, that the foot, wa- foot washing is symbolic of the servant role of Jesus, and he's pointing, of course, to the, to the cross, but it's also symbolic that they are mostly clean and will soon be made completely clean by what? Jesus' redemption. The only way for us to be sure that we are completely clean is to completely be redeemed and reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He said, now you're, you're, partially, you're mostly clean, but you're about to be completely clean because you're not completely clean, and I'm finishing that off symbolically with the feet, but ultimately on the cross. Everybody with me? Everybody following that? So what he's saying is the redemption found in Jesus will make us completely clean, and it also... It can be seen as the process that's going to be coming of sanctification. Meaning, do we not go through our sanctification saying, all right, we've been made clean, but there's times we have to go back to Jesus, repent of sin that we've done, and say, i got to be washed again. Not completely, but I need to remove this from my life. Hey, this was wrong. I repent of this. I'm sorry. So sanctification is also a process of continuing to be clean as we go forward. Not that we, not that we have lost our redemption, but that through the process of sanctification, how many of you can say, I see victory over sin this year that I didn't see five years ago? Jesus continues through the process of sanctification to clean my feet, even though most of my, myself may be clean. You'll see this again, by the way, and when we get to John 15, he's going to make this comment again about them being uh, clean. So, but then he says, but not all of you are clean. So this is going to be a reference to Judas, of course. Meaning there's somebody in the room, he's not with us. Now this has to start getting uncomfortable for Judas. I don't, I've never understood, like, does Judas realize how he's on to me? But it's obvious, the, re- the obvious is we'll see it in a minute, the rest of them have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, so anyway, he says, uh, and so Jesus says, um, said to Peter about the bathing, and then 11, for he knew who was to betray him. So here's John once again saying uh, that when he said not all of you are clean, uh, he wants us to understand that he is talking about, obviously, Judas. So let's look, at, let's look at 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer gar- garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? So, so now he wants them to understand the main point. And what is the main point? 
And this is beautiful. And he'll explain it more. The main point of this, and I hope you get this, especially when we go through tough things. You've heard me talk about this before. He's wanting us to understand the main point is that God has an unfathomable love for you and me. What I've just done, you can't believe what you just saw. And you think this shouldn't have happened. This is not the way we do things. You broke your social norms. You're our master. You're our teacher. You're our Lord. And you just acted like a slave in here, and we're blown away by this. And now you're talking to Peter about if we don't let you do this, we can have no part of you. And what he's saying is, is everybody getting what I'm doing here? I'm showing you that I'm here to show God's unfathomable love for you as I'm about to go to the cross and pay the debt that really you should pay. I'm trying to show you how much I love you. May we never say on our worst day, well, I thought God loved me. May we never say that again. Because Jesus said, I think I've gone on record for how much I love you. So the question isn't how much does Jesus love us? What's always the real question? Do we love him? I mean, that's the question. And, uh, and he says, well, you know, if you love me, you'll obey me. We'll get into that in, in, the, in the next chapter. So verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. Say, I love that. For so I am. He's clarifying he is in the role of authority, and he's saying, you call me teacher, and, and that's right, and Lord, and you're right, for I am. But what's going to happen is, he's saying, that's what makes what I just did even more unfathomable. Meaning, you didn't get it wrong. You see how important that is? You know, because what they're probably thinking is, well, maybe this guy's not who we thought he was. My goodness, he just, he just dressed like a slave and washed over our feet. We thought he was master. We thought he was teacher. We thought he was Lord. He said, let me clarify, all that's right. That's what makes what I just did that much more unfathomable. That's what, this, this, this bizarre feeling you have right now, you're, you're right. I am who you think I am. As a matter of fact, when I come back from the resurrection, I'm going to go right into the full road of Lord completely. So 14 and 15. If your feet, I'm sorry, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 15. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So let's take this for a minute. So is he saying we should continue to literally wash each other's feet? Now there have been people, as we always tend to do as human beings, that take this literal and there's nothing wrong with that. I've seen some beautiful ceremonies where people wash the feet of people they're sending out. I've seen fathers wash the feet of their son-in-law and their daughter on weddings. And all, that, all that's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But he's not really saying, I'm giving you another ritual. He, he's really not saying that. What he's saying is that we spiritually take on this attitude. Well, I mean, because let's be honest. What if I said, well... I don't really want to do anything for Tommy, and I still kind of think I'm better than him, but here in front of everybody, I'm going to wash Tommy's feet real quick so y'all think I'm following the example of Jesus. See, my heart's in the wrong place. I don't really consider myself in a servant's robe to Tommy. I'm just trying to show y'all and show off y'all a little bit and wash his feet so y'all can go, man, Rick washed one of the guys in the Bible study's feet. He washed all of our feet. But what if my attitude is still, I think I'm in a, a place higher than you? What if I still think I'm better than you? What good was it? What he's saying is, what we say in here a lot, you got to get to the attitude that none of you are better than anybody else. We're all, you're all in equal need of redemption at the cross. None of y'all going to strut into heaven. However, if I can come off the throne and I can take on the role of a slave and I can wash y'all's feet, oh, by the way, including you, Judas, does that ever hit you? He knows what Judas is going to do, and he's still washing his feet. Now, see, I might wash the other guy's feet. I tell you, I ain't gonna wash. <laughs> the guy's about to sell me for thirty pieces of silver. He's not. I ain't, I'm not. I'm not handling his feet. 
But Jesus said, well, why not? You ain't no better than Judas. How many times have you betrayed me? How many times have you betrayed me, Rick, in your life? You think you're better than Judas? If I can wash Judas's feet, then you better be glad I did, because what if the same standard you didn't want me to wash his feet, I held that standard against you. I wouldn't wash your feet either. So you got to be real careful with that. What he's saying is, I'm here to offer redemption to everybody. And if I lower myself to serve you, you keep that attitude amongst yourselves. We're done with the era of earthly kings. You're not any better than anybody else. When I send y'all out, take care of each other. And when anybody needs anything, if somebody needs you, don't you ever think that that's somebody else's job because you think you're in some place of authority. What you need to do, if I place you in charge of people, then you serve them just like I did. That's what he's saying. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not beautiful to go through the, the vision of washing feet of people we're sending out and you want to do that. I think that's beautiful. But again, I go back to my point a minute ago. If all you're doing is washing feet to keep some ritual, but your heart is not where it's supposed to be, it's meaningless. It's the attitude of washing people's feet that we need to adopt in our hearts. And that's the point that he is making. So the next, and always remember, if Jesus didn't think he was too good to do it, then we certainly are. Okay? 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. No servant could ever consider any task beneath him ever again after watching the master do the same thing. I mean, think about it. If you're a servant and you're a messenger, can you ever say that, well, I, I, I don't have to do that. Somebody says, you know, the master did. You think you're greater than the master? You're greater than the person that is in charge? You're greater than the king? The king did it, so that means what? Nobody's exempt from doing it. Because you can never say that somehow you've got a ranking that exempts you from this attitude because nobody, anybody here outranked Jesus? Anybody? And that's what he's saying. If I did it, none of you could ever say that you're too above doing anything. That this is beneath you, lowering yourself to serve somebody else. He said, I've given you the example and you're not greater than me. Amen to that. So he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you ah, do them. That's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? He didn't say, blessed are you if you believe these things. And we'll get into that, boy. Chapter 14, he's about to just go after us in chapter 14. I just want to prepare you for that, okay? But he's saying right now, no, no, you're blessed if you believe these things and, and do them. I mean, that's throughout Scripture. So what is the truth about what we believe, what we actually do? Right? I mean, you've, you've heard me use this example before. If I tell you that, that I don't believe I should drink bottled water, and I keep drinking it, you said, I don't know if Rick buys into this restriction about bottled water. Why is that? Well, he drinks it all the time. You would come to a correct assumption that I don't believe it. So when I say, I tell you what we need to do, we need to reach the world for Jesus. That's what I believe. Was well, that what you do? No. Well, then you don't believe it. Because <laughs> if you believed it, you would actually do it. So what he's saying is right now, everybody got the servant's attitude? Yes, we do, Jesus. He said, guess who will be blessed? Those who actually keep the servant's attitude. Not the ones who disbelieved in it. Right? I promise you that if, if tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. the bed music is rolling and I'm not here and they call me at home and say, Rick, did you, did you not come to work today? No. Do you believe you should come to work? I do. But you didn't come. No, but I believe I should. So what good is that? <laughs> right? So, so intellectual belief about things, they don't mean anything. It's what we actually do. Oh, I know what I should do, but did you do it? I didn't. Well, then you don't really believe it. And that's the point he's making. And again, chapter 14 is riddled with this. As a matter of fact, chapter 14, if I just look ahead, he says people that don't keep his commandments, they don't really know him. And he don't know them either. That's coming. Uh, but anyway, so, um, but he's kind of teasing it right here. So, uh, so, so look at uh, 18. I'm not speaking of all of you. Hmm. 
I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Okay, this is, uh, this is where we're going in 18. So if you have your Bible, I mean not Bible because we'll have time to turn to it, but make the note Psalms 41.9. Psalms 41.9. Now this, this whole psalm is not messianic, so don't, don't think that, but this line is, and it's what he's referring to. It's the part, the part of the psalm that was prophetic. And by the way, David's psalms many times have prophecy in them due because mainly there's, there's the bloodline that gave us Jesus. You know, it comes through the bloodline of David. So many times in the psalms that David wrote, you'll see prophecy, sometimes an entire psalm, but sometimes pieces of the psalm. And in this case, this is what he's talking about, about the heel and his, his friend betraying him, someone who's close to him, betraying him and turning on him, and he's referencing this. Uh, also, this is David's, you know, Jesus is also referred to a lot of times by Samuel, 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16, Psalms 2 are just some examples. And, it, you know, it, it's saying David's greater son, great David's greater son. See, a lot of people think those were David's earthly children. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the lineage of Jesus that is coming. And all these verses I just gave you, you'll see where the, the, the prophecy says that he will be betrayed by his closest friends. And Jesus is letting them know prophecy is going to be uh, uh, fulfilled. And when he says the hill is against me, that, that means that this person has given me a great fall. Uh, this person has taken cruel advantage of me. This person has walked out on me. It means all these things. But the betrayal of a close friend is the deeper point he's making. I mean, it's one thing to be betrayed by somebody you don't know. Right? I mean, I mean we, if you've ever been through betrayal, if it's somebody who's an acquaintance, or maybe a stranger that you just got into a deal with, you didn't really know them. That hurts. But what stings the most? Man, I, th- I thought you loved me. I, th- I thought we were together. You ever had that happen? Whew. That hurts. Hey, that takes some time to push through, doesn't it? When you're betrayed by someone that acted like they were in your inner circle and that they cared about you. And he's saying that's the kind of betrayal that's about to happen. One of you's going to betray me. One of the twelve. And remember, he had already gone through part of his earthly ministry where he would build up into the hundreds and thousands of people. And how many times, because Jesus never made his message softer to get bigger crowds, when he got bigger crowds, he weeded them out by making the message tougher to see who the real deal was. You know, you ever been through that? It's one thing to go through an easy workout. Now let's see if you'll stay here when the workouts get harder, when the standard goes up on what it looks like to follow me, when it's going to cost you something. And then, you know, we, you know, when he did the eat my flesh and drink my blood, he went back down to 12. But Judas is always in that 12. And Judas was put on such a fake show that they gave him in charge of the money. He was so believable. They said, this guy is so solid, he's in charge of the money. Now, John's already told us back during the perfume incident, that he does not like Judas, and that Judas was stealing from him. But see, John didn't know that here. Jesus, doesn't, Jesus knows it, but John doesn't know that here. Remember, when John's telling us this, it's already happened. But in this moment, they all think Judas is solid, which means, are there people in your church that think you're solid and you ain't nothing but fooling them? And remember, they be people in your congregation that you would think, I'll tell you everything about that person right there is solid. Well, that's what they thought about Judas. So much so, he was in charge of the money. You just going to let anybody have the money? I'm not. So he must have done a pretty good fake job. So much so, in a minute, you'll see, they don't even know who he's talking about. So it must not be obvious. That ought to worry you, by the way. Not to make you anxious. Just keep your eyes open and your ears peeled. Because Jesus did say this, which is wonderful. You know what he said in Matthew 7? If you want to know who the fake ones are, just, just keep watching. Sooner or later, they can't help it. Because why? The truth is who you really are. You'll see eventually. And Jesus is already letting them know that. But he's saying this is a tough betrayal because it's one of my closest 12 that's going to turn on me. He said, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. You know what he's saying? 
this is actually going to be another sign to you. I just told you what's going to happen. And, and when it happens, you'll go, ah, he called that. You ever seen that happen before? The great Babe Ruth moment. You know, it's one thing to point to left field. It's another thing to hit it out of left field. You know what I mean? I mean, that's a, that, 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 they're, they're going to say Jesus called this, meaning that's another sign that he is who he says he is. Jesus shows, which I love next. Look at this. This, this is really good. So in 19, he's saying, this is a great point. Don't miss this one. Hey, I'm no chump. You know, my, my, my dad getting referenced a lot in these things. My dad used to say this all the time. He said, I love to let people know you may be betraying me, but I want you to know I know you're betraying me. You, you may do it, and what you're doing may actually happen, but I got to let you know you didn't fool me. I know what you're doing. You may, you may go ahead and do it, but know that I know. So you know what he's saying again? I know about the betrayal. I know all about it. And I'm still going to submit to the cross, but know that I knew it. This, this, this didn't catch me by surprise. I wasn't fooled by Judas. I'm allowing Judas to betray me because it'll fulfill Scripture, and I'll be going to the cross. Could Judas have gotten out of this? That's a whole nother day. We can't get into that today. Uh, but anyway, because there, there'll be some theology in there. We'll be in here all day long. So let's just, let's just stay what we got right now. So in 19, uh, 20, I'm sorry, verse 20. So 20, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives this one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Now here we come. Right now, Matthew 10, 40. Here we come. This serves to, to, that the Great Commission is coming. Just as Jesus and the Father are one, man, this is good, his obedient, don't miss the word obedient, we'll talk about that in 14, his obedient disciples will now become one with him to receive, he's going to say, I'm one with the Father, the Great Commission is coming, I'm going to be one with the Father, and when I have completed the cross and the resurrection, through me, you'll now become one with the Father. We're going to be, you're going to be co-heirs with me. And when that happens, and this is important, think how many times that Jesus said, when people reject you, talking about you and me, if we're followers of Jesus, talking to the disciples, talking about his church, when they reject you, who do you say they're rejecting? They reject me. So now, the same rejection that I have received, when you go out and you're mine, know that I send you out as mine. I send you out with my message. And the ones that receive you, receive me. The ones who reject you, reject me. That's big. I had some guys come to my door on Saturday morning. I don't know why they keep coming to our house. And after I was done trying to correct what they did not have correct, I literally took my hands out. I saw this happen. I took my hands out to touch them, and I said, let me please pray over y'all. They pushed my hand away and said, no, thank you. They rejected my prayer. And I had just been studying this downstairs. And I thought, so that's it. You know what Jesus said? They just moved my hands away. They didn't want me. They had invented a, a version of me that took away my deity. So that's blasphemy. And you tried to correct it. And they said, no, thank you. Shut the door. Shut the door. Don't run after them. They just rejected me because I sent you out. If they receive you, they receive me. If they reject you, then they reject me. 21. And we're getting close. So 21. And this is pretty straightforward. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He's doubling down now. And you know what he says? This is that 100% human side of him. It troubles him. You know, so I, I find myself going, but Jesus, you know all things. You know this has to take place. You know what this is all about. But the 100% human side still said, I am troubled and I'm downcast because one of you has got to betray me. Now, there's all this thing about who the disciple is that Jesus loved. Is John being arrogant or referring to himself? Let's, let's, let's pull all that out. We do believe it's John. But this isn't a comment of arrogance. It's likely a comment, and I love this, 
of him showing, saying, John is saying that Jesus loved him. Why? Because of the grace and mercy he showed him. Don't look at this like, he's reclining by me. You know, I'm his favorite. And, uh, and what? Did you check the mute switch? Something wrong? The mute switch might have gotten hit. It did. There we go. Okay. So anyway, so what he is saying here is not that, that John is the one that Jesus loved like favoritism. What he, John is saying is he's giving, he's, he's, he's thankful, saying, I have been forgiven and shown so much grace and mercy by Jesus. Remember, John, this is later in John's life that he's writing this. So he's saying is, I was loved by Jesus because of the grace and mercy he showed me. Don't, don't read it any other way than that. And, uh, and he says that, uh, that, that John... Had, had certainly appreciated how much Jesus had loved him as the others. Now, 24 and 25 gets very funny because so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus, hey, who's he talking about? Now, this is Peter. This is the person who always has something to say. But when, when Jesus starts saying, hey, the person's in the room that's going to do it, even Peter sits there and goes to John, hey, ask him. Peter's not going to ask him. Of course, Peter's already been shut down once, so he's probably like... But he motions to John, you're over there by him, ask him who he's talking about. I love that moment. He, it, this one has got everybody stunned, including the mouth, Peter, who has, he's asking John, you're by him, ask him what he's talking about. And so John tells us that, 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 that he is over, picture them up with their backs against each other. It's, the, the scene is this, John leans back. It's like, who are you talking about? You know, they they're kind of wishing, Peter's motioning to me, who are you talking about? Because you know what they're all wondering. I hope it's not me. And so, so anyway, so, so they do this. So it says right here. So, so look at 25. So the disciple leaning back against Jesus, that's John, we think, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what, what you are going to do, do it quickly. Now, keep in mind, they're, they're sopping the bread. This was Jewish tradition. So Jesus sops the bread into the oil, hands it over to, to, to Judas. This was an offering of love to Judas, but instead of, instead of Judas taking Jesus' love in verse 27, he just takes the bread. Ooh. Let that preach for a minute. Here's Jesus saying to Judas, hey man, I'm reaching out to you. And you know what Judas said? I'll just take the bread and I'll reject you. Well, let that sit a minute. How many times in our life have we said to Jesus, thank you for the bread, no thank you to you. Thank you for the grace, no thank you to you. Thank you for the mercy, no thank you to you. I want whatever's in it for me. I don't want you. And we know that happened because Jesus said, since you made that choice, amen, I'm not going to chase that rabbit, but since you made that choice, Satan now has entered into you and you go do what you got to do and do it quickly. Some people could say that was a choice that Judas made. Well, Jesus had to go to the cross, Rick. He did. And he was going. But did Judas have to be the one to do it? I'm reaching out to you. I'll just take the bread. Because what it says, then Satan entered into him. And then he said, go do what you got to do. 28. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Come on, guys, wake up a little bit here. 29. Some thought that because Judas had taken the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. I'll close on this. The reason why they're saying that is that this is not has anything to do with the Passover, but there was something called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which would begin that night and would go on for seven days. And a lot of times the shops would stay open for a brief time if you need to come get what you need. So they said, I guess, I guess you're just sending them out. Go get what we need for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They didn't understand this. But it says this. Judas and Satan are still following Jesus' commands. What you got to do, you go do it. And then Judas, obeying Jesus, goes out. So you know what? This is Jesus, which we will also hear later. 
No one takes my life from me. No one takes my life from me. I just commanded Judas and Satan what to do, and they're following my commands to complete what will ultimately defeat Satan, defeat sin, and redeem the world. Even Jesus tells his betrayer and Satan what they will do. Ooh, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, and I will take it up again. Praise his holy name. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this message and the convicting moments in it, and there were many. <sighs> Help us, Lord, to apply it. Uh, Lord, I pray that even though uh, we had some equipment trouble that I apparently caused, uh, I hope that those that were not in the room are still able to understand the message today, Lord Jesus. And, um, and I pray, Lord, that you continue to, to take this and go with us as we step out into the next phase of our day. And let's not look ahead to, to what we're about to do next. You just take us through what's next. Lord, if there's anyone here today that needs to know you or is taking a step towards you today, I pray that you'll hear their prayers and you just submit to the authority of Jesus and say, I repent. Jesus, just save me. If I can help you, uh, you can reach me at rick at rickandbubba.com. I'd love to walk with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Whew. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.